Hi, my name is Danielle Cooper and I'm a senior studying business management and leadership at UNCW. And one of the questions that I have is, have you been a believer most of your life or did you become a believer after you started teaching? And if you did become a believer after you started teaching as a professor, how did that impact the way that you taught? Hey everybody, welcome to Meet the Prof. I am Shane Hartley. My friend Spence Hackney and I have been receiving questions from college students, and then we ask them to Christian professors. And we're having a blast in the meantime of doing it. And our mission is really simple. We want to encourage Christ-centered conversations on the college campus, and in this case, between students and professors. So welcome. Uh, before we get started, I just want to say thank you for joining us. That means a lot to us that you would listen in now. And we have the privilege of hearing from Lynn Lecce here. So Spence and I interviewed Dr. Lynn Lecce, who's a professor of psychology at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. So Lynn's research is very interesting. Part of his research involves detection of early memory loss. Uh, another part of his research involves looking at the bias that's involved in different jury decisions. And also Lynn was just recently awarded a little over $149,000 for brain injury research. Uh, he's also a lot of fun to be with, and uh, I think you're going to enjoy hearing some of his story um, about how God has worked in his life. Uh, you might not be surprised, a big part of his spiritual journey has been a rational and well thought out journey, and uh, I think you're going to enjoy hearing about the role of doubt in, uh, in having healthy growth. Um, also about dating. He talks about building trust in dating relationships. So before we get started, uh, please remember to click on to subscribe or follow this podcast, and that helps get the word out to even more college students. And uh, so without any further ado, enjoy our conversation with Dr. Lynn Lechi. Well, Lynn, welcome to Meet the Prof. How you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah we're excited. Excited to get the time yeah. with you. Yeah. And uh, so I've known you for a while. But I learned something about you when I read your profile on meettheprof.com. You said that if you weren't a professor, that you would be a lawyer. So uh, tell us about that. What kind of lawyer would you have been? Uh, you know, that's a great question. I, I don't know if I had gotten that far into it. I, I was an undergraduate at the time, had not planned on going into uh, psychology. I was doing my undergrad and then I was going to apply to law school. Um, I think I was thinking of trial, criminal trial yeah, lawyer. Right. That was mm -hmm. kind of vaguely my thought. Um, and I used to, and I guess in some ways still do kind of think in a very specific legalistic way, which has been helpful in some things and not so much in others. Um, What's but, an example uh, of that? How do you think that way? Uh, uh, well, I mean, I can distinctly remember one instance where I was, uh, in a class, it was actually a psychology class and, uh, I think it was a bio psych class and we were going through, uh, test questions and, um, there was a question that I thought was, uh, not appropriately worded or at least worded such that the correct answer was not the answer the professor said was the correct answer. And so I put my hand up and I, I asked a couple of questions and when he said yes to those questions, I said, well, given that, then if you look at this question, and as soon as I asked him, yeah, as soon as I asked him in front of the whole class, he went, uh, 
you should go to law school. <laughs> um, and I had already actually, that had been on my mind. Um, and it wasn't until I was a senior that I sort of fell in love with um, a psychology class. And a professor uh, in that class kind of asked me, said, why don't you read some grants that I've submitted? And I did. And I really just got interested in that. It wasn't so much I lost interest in the other stuff. I just got yeah. more interested in, in that. So I ne never never made it to law school. I just applied to grad school in psych instead. So yeah. So have you seen a TV show called Bull where he is a psychologist no. that it, he chooses juries based on psychology? You should oh, okay. It because you're like the modern day Jason Bull. You would be yeah. Well, you know, interestingly, and one of the great things about being a professor is you can choose your area of research interests. And so uh, one of our areas of interest in our lab is um, juror bias. And so we actually study it. We d we've developed a scale to measure it. Um, and so we do actually some forensic work. I've been done some consulting and such. So I have had the uh, advantage of being able to still satisfy that interest, yeah. um, no, which... I will say is probably one of the my favorite things about being in academia is is you know whatever your research interests are you can pursue them. Uh, I mean as long as they're productive and they you know results in publications or grants or whatever the case may be, um, you can choose your area of research pretty openly. And so I, I've been able to sort of cultivate that interest over the years, uh, and it's and it's been fun. It's kind of a little side foray gig, if you will, that um, has been fun for me to to keep that stoke that alive. I, I probably have dreams every now and then of being in a courtroom or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Lynn, so when you were a college student, what is the most embarrassing thing that ever happened to you? So I can distinctly remember, I'm sure um, uh, you, you guys look like you probably about my age, that uh, we've gone through some fashion uh, revolutions over the years. Um, so you might remember the 1970s. So my story associated with that is um, we, we didn't have a ton of money in our home and my parents were pretty uh, frugal. My mom was a great uh, seamstress. So I have a sister who's six years older than me. Um, I got her hand-me-down clothes. So um, somewhere around the early 1980s, uh, I was wearing my sister's hand-me-down bell-bottom uh, pants, uh, massive flares and everything. I, I remember being incredibly self-conscious at that moment. And what dawned on me since that time is I was thinking, where was my head like in the years pre preceding that? Because I was still wearing those clothes. But I guess at some point, I, uh, you know, whenever, whatever my age was, I know I was in high school and I just all of a sudden thought, this is it. I'm not wearing women's clothes. <laughs> hand me down. I wondering if you have any pictures of this. Do you have any pictures? You could trust uh, us. We won't share them if you give it to us. We'll just yeah. look at it. I hope not. I really hope not. I was so thankful that social media did not exist at that yeah. time. Yeah. So, so I'm, I think we need to make a PSA that Lynn has decided to quit wearing women's clothes. We're all very proud of it. <laughs> yeah, Congratulations. Yeah. Well, this, this now gets out on social media. It's going to be yeah, great. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> well, that'll wrap up our time. Thanks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. Well, we can edit all this out, right? <laughs> no, no, we don't edit at all. We just keep it going. <laughs> well, Lynn, so uh, to be more serious, uh, I was encouraged reading about some of your story online, how um, you explained that you were raised Catholic, but you didn't begin really owning your Christian faith until 
you read some uh, some books on the reasons for the Christian faith. And uh, I just wonder, tell us about that. Uh, tell us how, how was that so significant for you? Sure. Um, so, I mean, I, I certainly, you know, was familiar with the basic tenets of Christianity. I've, I've actually attended church with, you know, some regularity, uh, at least couple, maybe once or twice a month was kind of the going away, but it did definitely feel more ritualistic rather than um, more of a sort of a personal journey, if you will. Um, I don't really recall ever uh, questioning my belief or my faith or, or um, really other, any other aspects just kind of felt like this is where I was supposed to do and, and go. Um, the journey was affected by a number of things. So we, we, uh, started having kids in 2001, my wife and I, um, should say I met Kelly, who, my wife, uh, and she was definitely more of, um, a, a active believer. Um, and therefore that began, that also sort of pushed me forward and then, uh, began sort of reading, I guess, you know, what would be broadly referred to as some of the apologetics literature that I hadn't really gotten much into uh, previously. The, one of the books that sort of stood out to me uh, that I've actually read more than once and uh, was uh, A Case for Christ. And uh, it, it was actually, it was interesting because when I first read it, I think I read it maybe with one foot in the door and one foot in skepticism. When I read it again a few years later, I remember, um, you know, uh, kind of going through it in a less skeptical manner and in a sense that mm -hmm. things made more sense to me at the time. So it, in my mind, it, it sort of reflected how my thinking had changed on um, uh, some of those ideas. Just that being sort of an il illustration of it, it really was a bit of a slow boil. I mean, there were, I, I wouldn't tell you that there was this event occurred and then from there forward, it was different. It was kind of a series of things over time. I would say uh, church shifted from a little more obligatory action to something I wanted to do. If we missed for one reason or another, we were traveling. Actually, you know, it felt like I missed something that week. Um, so those are kind of some of the, I guess, the signposts that things were changing. Uh, Do you remember a, a learning or realization that sort of took hold of you during that period of discovery you went through? Yeah, I would think, you know, one of the things that occurred was that at the, I think at the, if I, if I you know, was to dial back like 10 years before that, um, I think my base assumption was, not to believe and to look for evidence to support belief. The default um, was to not believe. The default was not. And I, and, I, and I remember at some point in that process sort of questioning, why is that the default? Why might I not adopt the belief and look and then, and then kind of use information? So the, um, and I'll be honest, I remember having that uh, thought in a very, very practical way initially. So basically thinking of it almost as a cost ratio analysis, right? So if it's not true and you believe what's the cost, if it is true and you don't believe it'd be a much higher cost, yeah. it'll probably make sense to make your default, uh, that. And so I remember making it in a very rational sort of decision. Um, 
and then it's sort of evolving over time after after that. So it wasn't just the logical choice given the cost benefit trade off. I think you you are a natural lawyer. You would be. Am I? That. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I, as you're talking, I'm sitting here thinking how humans seem to always be able to find evidence to support views they already hold. You know, yes. and, and you said I kind of decided to adopt this view and it was pretty easy for me to find evidence to support that, you know, yeah. which is, um, I, you, Hey, you're the expert on the human condition. This is my armchair psychology right here. So you can shoot yeah. it down, but yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, we, the, you can pick any topic and certainly anything where there's enough uncertainty yeah. unknowns about it. It's relatively easy to support one position or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're going to have, regardless of where you land, I mean, the most, you know, an atheist or a Christian could sit there and none can truly use the evidence to be 100% certain, which is why you need faith on, yeah. on one hand, yeah. but you also need faith to be on the other hand of the argument. It's not like that's a faithless position either. I'd love to double click on that about faith. Um because uh, there's so much in the Bible about our need to trust God, step out in faith, and students uh, face a lot of things that are unknown. So there are uh, many opportunities you know, for, for fear and anxiety. Um, how for you, uh, has, have you taken any step of faith into an unknown? And what, what was faith like for you being someone who is so rational? Uh, to uh, to step into something where maybe there was no real reason to trust God on the outside. You know, I guess what I would say is, um, um, when when you experience some doubt, you know, I sometimes hear uh, students talk about you know they're experiencing doubt and such. They may have come from uh, an upbringing where that wasn't necessarily. Um, tolerated or discussed extensively you should just you know believe um you know i think actually it's a good sign when people are thinking about doubt because for one thing it, it's a it's a sign that they're kind of grappling with the issue um and that's much better than indifference or um you know even certainty in the other direction is that you know healthy faith has an element of doubt in it that's that's the whole that's what drives the need for faith. Um, so it's, it, I don't think that's necessarily a problematic sign. I think anybody, um, even great biblical fig figures have, you know, expressed their doubt in their passages as you read them and, you know, and then they turn them around by the end of the passage, but mm -hmm. it's there and it's there in the next passage. So it's, it's not like it's absent. Um, so I, I think it's important for us not to see that as a, um, shortcoming or a problem i think it's a very healthy sign and as i said i think it means the person's engaged which is that's really all you can ask for is to be engaged in that mm. whether it's an open conversation with others uh or, or you know some just debate in your own mind yeah there's been things written about uh, the the healthy doubt that we we need to have ourselves encourage others to have too because sometimes when people have doubts uh, about God, especially growing up, if they grow up in a religious kind of environment, that person can end up feeling um, guilty for having those doubts. And the, the remedy is just to stop it, just stop having the doubts. Um, yeah. But uh, even you're describing that there is a healthy kind of um, skepticism or just uh, a, a way forward with doubt that uh, that doesn't just try to ignore it, but uh, uh, began to uh, 
search out. So even search out solutions. Is that what you're saying? Let's search answers yeah. for letter doubt. Yeah, I think questions help, um, you know, because doubt ultimately is expressed often in the form of questions. Um, questions kind of help you decide where you should be looking next. Um, you know, so, I mean, that's very essence of our of any field that's based on science as well. You know, you, you're not sure about something, it leads to questions and you, you go to the next step. I, the one thing I will say is, um, and I do mention this in my classes, you know, there's some things where, um, you, you really need to have some faith in it. Often one of the best analogies of this is, uh, you know, if you're in a uh, loving relationship with someone, so your spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever the case may be, um, you know, I'm not sure if it's necessarily healthy for you to put that, uh, relationship to the scientific scrutiny of, you know, does the person love you? And da, 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 that usually leads to a pretty unhealthy relationship. You, mm -hmm. At some point um, after presumably the relationship has uh, demonstrated some stability and you've come to have some confidence in it, you'll have to have some faith um, in it or you'll, you know, you'll pull your hair out worrying about it. Uh, and so, so that has to kind of at some point make that shift. Does it mean you'd never have doubts? No, not at all. Um, and again, there are the return to ideas of past behavior and love that would reassure you. And I think we can do the same thing with uh, our, our relationship with uh, with Christ. And in fact, many times it's the same things that we rely on that uh, help us through those more difficult times, including speaking to other people who might be having some similar beliefs and even similar doubts. There's a point in dating where you're um, you're expressing doubts about the person you're asking questions because you're trying to see if you fit, you know. And at some point you cross this marriage boundary and you make this commitment and you're like, I'm going to quit asking those questions to see if you fit and I'm going to commit and there's a there's another level of trust. And that's what we do with Christ in a way too. You know, you sort of probe around to figure out if I can trust this guy, if this is all legit. Yeah. You, you did that. You, know, you read some books and at yeah. some point you commit, you know, and you say, no, my life is in this now. And I, I guess you could you could get there in that cost benefit analysis model, too, yeah. where you sort of say, well, you know, all things we hear the pros and cons of being with uh, <laughs> so and so. Um, and, and, and that may be part of that process. You know, that may occur at some point, but you're going to go beyond that uh, yeah. if you're really committed in a covenant kind of way with yeah. someone else. And, you know, of course, they use the same term in the. Bible yeah. of God making a covenant with uh, with His people, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so in that regard, that analogy certainly extends there. Hey, and if if my relationship was based on a cost benefit analysis, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be married because my wife wouldn't have me. <laughs> yeah, that's, probably, that's I'm probably a poor investment. We both I married up. That would fail. <laughs> so I'm glad it's not. We get the benefit. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I hope you enjoyed that interview and you can learn more as well as read about other Christian professors on our website, meettheprof.com. And you can search for professors by name or by state or even by college campus. And you can also find many helpful resources about questions that were in the interview and uh, other ways of answering tough questions at crew.org. And that's C-R-U dot O-R-G. And college students, if you would like to ask a question to a professor and potentially be on the show, this is how you do it. Follow us on Instagram. It's meet the prof official. 
and then upload us a video uh, by direct message where you say your name, your college campus, and what year you are, and then ask your question. And you can ask more than one question, and uh, hopefully then you can be featured on the show. And um, if you enjoyed this, would you please share this episode with a friend, um, someone you think it would be helpful to? And please don't forget to follow or subscribe to the podcast. And if you're listening to this, but you would like to watch the videos of these interviews, we record them all and we put them on YouTube. So you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is Meet the Prof Official. And uh, we would love to meet you there. And lastly, if you would like to financially support our Faculty Commons ministry with Crew, you can do so online by going to give.crew.org forward slash zero So thank you for being with us. And until next time, we hope you feel encouraged to have a Christ-centered conversation on your college campus.